Well, the Aussie dollar only enjoyed a brief period of strength. It's been hit by weaker than expected data from China overnight. Meanwhile, US equities are pushing on and upwards despite bad data releases, including a plunge in New York Fed's manufacturing index and the NHB chief economist saying the US was in a housing recession. The RBA minutes are out today. Normally, they would not attract a huge amount of attention, but maybe today they will as you try and glean what they'll do next. Now they've declared there is no preset path. It's Tuesday, the 16th of August, 2022. It's the morning call from NAB. Good morning. So US equities continue to rise. They're thin volumes, but they're still up at close. The Nasdaq is up 0.6%. The Dow is up half percent. The S&P 500 up 0.4%. That's all been helped by a more than half percent rise in Apple and Microsoft and a 3% lift in Tesla. European shares are also generally up a third of 1% for the Eurostox 50, for example. Bond yields are falling down five basis points for 10-year treasuries in the US, uh, down nine basis points for 10-year bond yields in Germany and for the UK's 10-year gilt yields as well. Australian 10 years closed down six basis points yesterday at 3.36%, but seven basis points lower on futures overnight. And the US dollar has bounced back. It's up 0.8% today on the DXY. I asked yesterday whether the Aussie dollar would hang on to its strength that it gained at the end of last week for a few days at least. Well, the answer is clearly no. Uh, It's still over 70 US cents, but at 70.2, only just because it's fallen 1.4% this morning. The pound is down 0.7%, the euro down 1% and a massive drop in oil. WTI is down 3.6%, down below 88.80 now. It got down to 86.82 earlier on. Brent is down 3.8% at 94.40. So WTI is now the lowest since January when significantly there was no war going on in Ukraine. So I suspect China has a bit to do with this uh, for oil and for the Aussie dollar. Uh, Let's uh, get a word on that from NAB's Ray Attrell in Sydney. So Ray, I'm going to call today's episode Slow Boat from China because I know you you like to use song titles, don't you, when you're writing your morning notes? So this one's a classic for you, Peggy Lee and Bing Crosby. That, this is more your vintage, isn't it? Except, of course, it was the slow boat to China, but, you know, artistic license. I'm calling it the slow boat from China. But look, we had uh, weak credit data last week. Then overnight, retail sales and industrial output were weaker than expected. So this is presumably what's driving the Aussie lower and pushing oil down as well. Um, yes, I think you're right. And thanks for stealing my thunder with the song oh, titles. Oh, you, you, um, you had the same one, did you? <laughs> I got there first. <laughs> no, I haven't. No, I haven't. I've got something else in planned. But uh, anyway, um, yes, in short, China is, is, is the proximate cause for most of the market activity, but um, also some, uh, some soft US numbers, which we'll get to in a second. Mm. But um, yes, a lot's happened in China, really, since, since we went home last Friday, to be honest. We had some very weak credit numbers coming out of China that were published on Friday evening, very much weaker than expected. Um, the response of which on Monday morning before we got to the slug of monthly activity data was a, a very surprising cut in what's called the medium um, term loaned financing uh, rate, the MLF. That was cut by 10 basis points to 2.75 against uh, uh, expectations of, a, of, of an unchanged rate, I think, by all analysts who were surveyed. Mm. Um, and that seems to preface a cut in what we call the loan prime rates. So things like mortgage rates would be tied to those loan prime rates. I'd be very interested to see what happens on the 20th of the month, which is Friday, which is when we get those LPR settings. Uh, and if we do see another cut, particularly in the five-year loan rate, which was cut by, I think, 15 basis points back in April, it would certainly signal that the part of the motive here is to provide some additional relief to existing borrowers, um, you know, whether they're, they're homeowners with mortgages or, or businesses, 
um, you know, rather than perhaps you know, think that they can generate stronger loan demand, which isn't really the issue no. at the moment. It's, but it, uh, it, 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 might, um, it might so, fix the real estate the story, but I mean, the, the, all of these numbers, it looks like, you know, they, they're mm-hmm. down because people, you know, a lot of it is people, <clears throat> people are not consuming as much in, in China because uh, they still have these COVID worries. So there was an example on Sunday in Ikea in Shanghai. There's, this was tweeted, people running for the doors because they had, there was a COVID outbreak and uh, they wanted to get out of the store before they took their names down because they didn't want a two-day quarantine and then five days of surveillance. So, uh, you know, people aren't well, going to go shopping <laughs> in that sort of environment, are they, too often? Well, yeah, and, and let's look at the numbers from, from yesterday. Retail sales, right, 2.7% year-on-year, um, expected to be up 4.9% year-on-year. So we're very much weaker than expected and down from just over 3%. Uh, in June, same time industrial production, weaker than expected, 3.8 down from 3.9 year on year, expected to be 4.3. Um, and fixed asset investment, which is sort of to some extent expected to be doing some of the heavy lifting, um, you know, in the way, in the um, the midst of, of a weak consumer. And, and also times maybe that you know, we may have reached peak sort of export strength now. Now the, the world is pretty much full up with the with the uh, the goods that um, that it wanted uh, during the pandemic and the some of those supply chain shortages seem to be easing. So fixed asset investment down what five point seven from six point one. So all round, you know, evidence that this sort of post, you know, the post lockdown jump in activity that we had in May and June. Uh, now seems to be a distant memory, and, and perhaps that is in part for the reasons that you say that there's an extreme amount of hesitancy on the part of uh, of her consumers um, to spend, and and accordingly to uh, to want to borrow, and particularly in the midst of a housing market that's still showing uh, year on year declines in house prices, it's, it's not uh, incentivizing people to to run out and get a mortgage to buy a new yeah. house. So that fixed asset investment, I mean, it, it is down, but I mean, it's not down as much as retail sales. So I guess if you if you're looking for you know bright shining light in all of this, I mean, at least it's not a disaster. Five point seven percent. I mean, it, that, that shows people are thinking and this is going to be over sometime soon, so we are going to invest. Well, the only thing I'd say in that is that the fixed asset investment numbers are, uh, are nominal numbers mm. and there are some significant price effects right. in there. So I think I'll, I'll take the other side of saying that's good news. And in real terms, inflation-adjusted terms, the numbers aren't nearly as strong as that. So, uh, you know, in that sense, it's a worry. And, and I think just collectively, the numbers just highlight the impossibility of achieving that official 5.5% growth target, although officials have been distancing themselves from that uh, for a little while yet. So, um, But say certainly enough to generate um, a knee-jerk negative response in the Chinese yuan. It weakened immediately following that unexpected rate cut uh, and then weakened a fair bit more. So I think we're off almost 1% on the day. Uh, and we've noted you know, on many occasions the, the correlation between the Chinese currency and the Aussie dollar. So in that sense, no surprise to see the Aussie and the Kiwi dollars very much at the bottom of the G10 currency list. Uh, yeah, and this big fall in oil as well, can we uh, attribute that to what's been happening in China? Um, two things. I think to some extent, yes. I think it just highlights the potential sort of weakness in uh, in demand, particularly from, from the China side of the equation, who's one of the big, world's biggest oil consumers. But there, there also seems to be a fair bit of optimism around, uh, but false or otherwise, that um, a nuclear deal with Iran is about to be struck. Now, we'd be very cautious in, in suggesting mm. that uh, over the weekend, the EU did offer some sort of compromise a form of words that um, that that would be it seemingly would be acceptable 
from the Iranian side, but um, our commodities expert, you know, continues to remind us that, uh, you know, whether there is a breakthrough and then the deal is back on is very much in the gift of the US. And this was an EU proposal. So, yeah. um, but certainly markets seem to be traveling with a degree of optimism there. And, you know, the belief that uh, Iran, I think, is, is estimated to be exporting maybe about a million barrels a day of oil in gray markets. And potentially that could, that could almost double in the event of a, of a nuclear deal. So I think that's, uh, that's added to the downward pressure that we've seen on oil, which is off what best part of the Right. Yeah, which is good, obviously, because I mean that that means you know the headline inflation will start to fall if if oil stays lower. But then, you know, it, something seems to always happen to 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 push it up again. So we shouldn't get too excited. It's uh, uh, although it, you know it, it has stayed generally a bit lower, hasn't Absolutely. it? Absolutely, and, and and good news from an inflation point of view. If you think that it was lower petrol prices that was the primary driver of, of last week's fall in headline inflation, then uh, further weakness in oil will flow through to lower headline inflation rates for sure. Uh, and obviously give people a bit more money to spend on other things. So maybe that's why, because uh, I was going to ask, why US equities uh, bouncing high, continue to bounce high? Maybe we've just answered it. Maybe they're looking and saying, hey, oil's down, people are going to be able to spend more. And yet, the uh, you know there was, it was surrounded by bad news, wasn't it, for the, from the US? So the housing uh, index fell below 50, so it's in, in contraction. In fact, the NAHB, the Housing Association chief economist, described it as a housing recession that's been brought on by the Fed and uh, persistently elevated construction costs. So that wasn't good news. But the New New York Empire State Manufacturing Index uh, that was expected to uh, have a read around five came in at minus 31.3. That a forty-two point drop. That can't be right, can it? I mean, I mean, this is a massive undershoot. <laughs> well, no, I've been uh, reading around it this morning, and uh, you know, an unbelievable seems to be the word that some analysts are uh, yeah. are attaching to that. It's actually maybe it's just it's wrong. a bigger fall than we had in the first month of the pandemic, March twenty twenty. Yeah, um, yeah. It's a pretty small survey, and um, you know, it doesn't map across very well to the nationwide ISM index. So we shouldn't read too much in it but um you know but the size of the fall is uh, as i say is pretty incredible and um you know and, and the compass driven by sort of weaker new orders and weaker shipments also a big drop in prices paid there 8.8 points so um you know that's a potentially of some significance at least but yeah as you put that put the, yeah. that weakness there the sticker shock of that number with that nahb uh, sentiment index which um as you say really does point to you know, quite a rapid unraveling of, uh, of, the, of the housing market. And we'll get U.S. housing starts tonight, incidentally, which would be of interest. You know, seeing those two numbers, I would have thought, oh, U.S. stocks are down. Um, come in, turn the screen on, up, what, 0.6 for, or around 0.5 for the NASDAQ and, and 0.4 for the S&P. Um, so going back to your question, I think interest rates are certainly part of the story. We've got bond yields four or five basis points lower across the curve. Um, you know, and, and no surprise in that context that the, the tech sector or the NASDAQ is outperforming the S&P. And the gains have come even though, you know, the energy sector is off a couple of percent, as you would expect on the back of oil prices. So it's actually quite a broad-based uh, gain here. And uh, as I say, the only explanation I can offer is that, um, you know, interest rates are lower. So, you know, we're pricing in, you know, the global economic slowdown. So rates are going to have to come down next year. Isn't that good news for stocks? But uh, that twisted logic continues to right. uh, to play out in the US market. Yeah, exactly. Someone needs to tell the Fed that. Yeah. So the uh, so we're talking about central banks. The RBA minutes are out uh, later on today. Now, normally, you know, we there's sort of like a little bit of attention paid to uh, to the to these minutes, but normally we know pretty much what's in them. 
but I mean, we've got a less clear idea now. Haven't we? We're, they're not on a preset path in in their words. So, what's in these minutes? I mean, we'll we'll, we'll just be devouring them for any clues as to where they you know where they might be heading. Well, the, the reason that we're flagging a bit more interest in them than uh, that perhaps months past. And normally, when you have a a month of an RBA meeting and then you have a statement of monetary policy, you pretty much know everything that mm. you you're going to learn in the minutes. But uh, in this case, the you know the statement itself came across as a little bit equivocal, as you say, because of that. You know the comment about rates not being on a preset path, and also you know the RBA wanting to get inflation back to target while keeping the economy on an even keel, which um, you know some interpreted to mean we're not going to get inflation down to two percent at all costs over the next couple of years. And indeed, when we had the statement of monetary policy, um, you know the inflation forecasts were still showing inflation at what three percent in 2024. Uh, wages growth expected to be above the three and a half percent rate that the RBA has previously said is consistent with that target inflation, even at the end of the forecast horizon. So, you know, the, the, the monetary policy statement seemed to be, you know, much less equivocal or more hawkish. So how we reconcile those two sort of, uh, those two um, documents, if you like, I think is going to be of interest this morning. And if they end up being more dovish, that's going to be strange, isn't it? When just over the water, you've got, you know, interest rates uh, shooting ever higher in, in New Zealand. So uh, an interesting compare and contrast exercise between the two countries, isn't it? So uh, we get the zoo survey in Germany today. We get building permits and housing starts, as you've said, for the US. Uh, we get Canada's CPI, industrial production for the US. And uh, the unemployment rate for the UK, uh, Let's hope it's. I mean, the UK. You know, we keep on saying it's a bit of a basket case, but but then they keep on they keep on surprising. Well, that's right, and, and you know, and, and for all the um, you know the doom and gloom about the UK economy, which I have to say is uh, is undeniable, um, it hasn't yet shown up in in the hard data. Um, you know, to the mm. extent that the Bank of England, at least, is, is forewarning of. I think we'll be particularly interested in the wages numbers there, whether we're seeing any signs that that sort of average weekly earnings, once we strip out the volatility caused by bonuses, you know, creeps up or uh, or falls back, is expected to be up, I think, one or two tenths at least. Uh, and if that is the case, then I think the market will still feel that, um, you know, the Bank of England is not yet ready to uh, to take its foot off the uh, off the brake or the accelerator, whichever way you want to look at it, as far as uh, as raising rates. So uh, there's always a lot of components to there. So there'll be something for uh, something for everyone. But I'd probably highlight that uh, as long as, uh, as I say, with those housing starts numbers, which are expected to be down a couple of percent. But um, the risk must be that there'll be a bigger fall given the, the depths to which that NAHB um, housing index fell overnight. Yeah, and in the UK, the, the, the news agenda very much has been over the last uh, 12 hours as to whether, in fact, we, we'll actually see that price cap increase in, in October, whether, in fact, fuel prices may be uh, subdued, held back by some sort of intervention by, by the government. Uh, so we'll see whether, I mean, obviously that will impact inflation in the UK as well. Anyway, we'll leave it there for now. That's uh, how things are today. Good to have you on again, Ray. For sure. And that is the morning call for this Tuesday morning. I'm Phil Dobby for now. Back again tomorrow morning. I'll see you then. Thanks for listening.